Think Over Here, Episode 1, The Namis Ring, The Power of Identity. Well, welcome to the first episode of Think Over Here, a podcast where we place ourselves in different cultures and try to learn more about ourselves and others on the way by exploring the world in a new framework. I'm Owen, and it's very nice to meet you. I hope that together we can learn a lot of new stories and cultures while sprinkling in a lot of fun and humor and, heck, maybe even a little science along the way. I'm always curious to learn more stories and cultures, so please feel free to reach out at me at thinkoverhere at gmail.com. Um, I'm always looking for new things, and I'm just start, getting started in this podcast, and so I appreciate any feedback or thoughts. Well, today we are going to think over in Latvia. Now, Latvia, what is that? Where is that? What is that? It's a country. Now, Latvia, I would argue, is probably the most famous obscure country. It's a country that most of us have heard of, but don't really know anything about it. I mean, you see it all the time in television and movies. It's always the Latvian ambassador or the Latvian president who has been kidnapped or assassinated, and it's up to special agents to find them. Or you always have the famous scene in Seinfeld where Kramer is diagnosed with the kavorka, or the lure of the animal, by the Latvian Orthodox Church. And by the way, kavorka is not a thing. Or is it? But the Latvian Church definitely, the Latvian Orthodox Church definitely is. So Latvia is an Eastern European country, sub located up north near the Baltic Sea, next to sister country Lithuania, next to Estonia, right up there north of Poland, south of Finland, Baltics. And Latvia holds a very special place in my heart because I lived there for two years. And while I lived there, I was able to learn Latvian and drink deeply in its culture. And one thing that I noticed there was that there was great national pride. And that's what we're talking about today is identity. And Latvians, they've been able to truly hold on to their beautiful culture and identity, even in the midst of years of occupations by different countries, including Germany and Russia, most notably here recently. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about this power of identity, especially in a Latvian context. And along the way, we're going to learn a little trick that can be used to identify Latvians across the world. In other words, after listening to this podcast, you will have a superpower and be able to identify Latvians. And how are we going to talk about this identity we're going to do it through a story. Now, this story happened a long, long time ago, but it is very important to Latvian culture. So here we go. In the late 13th century, the Latvian tribes of Latgale, Lidzeme, and Korzeme were separate. And interesting to note, these regions are still current in Latvia. Now, fun fact, Vidzeme translates to Middle Earth, and is where the capital Riga 
is located. So, here's something cool. If you ever want to travel to Middle-earth, like in J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, just book a flight to Latvia, to Riga, and when you get off that plane, you will be in Vidzeme, or Middle-earth. So, there you go. I just made all your hobbit dreams come true. Well, anyway, back to the story. So these different tribes and these areas, these lands, they had different traditions and dialects. And of course, they had wars and they had marriages to keep the peace between themselves. Now, these pagan tribes, these people had a common problem, despite their differences, because German Christian crusaders were trying to take over Latvia and force the Christian religion on all the inhabitants of Latvia. And so for years, the pagans and the crusaders had different peace treaties and agreements and wars. But things had started to get a little bit more shaky than usual forever since the Battle of Saule, or the Battle of the Sun, where native Semgallian and Lithuanian pagan forces had defeated the German crusaders, who, by the way, these German crusaders, they had a pretty boss name. They were known as the Livonian Brothers of the Sword. Anyway, I don't agree with what the Crusaders were doing, but they had a pretty cool name. I mean, yeah. And so the Livonian Brothers of the Sword, recognizing their defeat in the Battle of Saule, had joined up with the bigger kids on the block, the bigger crusading group known as the Teutonic Knights. And so things had gotten a little bit more shaky for the native peoples of Latvia once the Livonian Brothers of the Sword joined up with the Teutonic Knights. And so here was this threat looming over Latvia. But a man named Names, he knew that the only way that the native peoples, the pagans, were going to have any chance of defeating the invaders were if these lands, tribes, and peoples were to unite against them. He is quoted as saying, We may bicker between ourselves after we join together to defeat our common invaders. And so Names, through his efforts of uniting the tribes, he became one of Latvia's great leaders against the German crusaders. But in so doing, he, Names, had placed a big target on himself. For if the invaders could destroy Names then they could destroy the newfound, but still kind of shaky, cooperation between the tribes and successfully conquer Latvia. Now, fortunately for Names, he had made a special ring, a ring that symbolized the three lands of Latgale, Vidzeme, and Korzeme, uniting together. The ring was made out of three strands of silver, that were woven together like a rope. And some believed that this ring granted Names the power to conquer his enemies and made Names safe from harm. Of course, now wars are always difficult, even if you have a special ring made out of braided silver. The Teutonic Knights weren't going down without a fight. The Teutonic Knights seized and burned down one of Name's main castles in Dolbele. And after this, Name's he had to travel down to Lithuania to fight the Crusaders there. And in so doing, he had to leave his son in Latvia. 
Names, he was worried that he would be down in Lithuania for many years fighting the Crusaders, and when he would return to Latvia, he wouldn't be able to recognize his son. And so he gave his son that special ring of twisted silver rope. Again, a ring that some believed to protect Names from harm. And so Names went down to Lithuania to help fight the Crusaders there, but when the invaders had heard that Names' son now possessed the unmistakable ring, Names' son became the target. And in order to protect Names' son, the boys and men of Zemgale each fashioned and wore a similar ring of twisted silver rope to protect the boy. And due to the Zemgalians' efforts of each wearing a ring, thus hiding Names' son in the crowd, the boy was protected. Now this is the story of a powerful man, Names. Powerful people, the Latvian people. And a ring, unlike any other in the history of the world. And these people, the native Latvians, they wore these rings of silver braided rope for years. And these people wore these rings, Names' ring, or, in this, or as they say in Latvia, Name Agredzens, made of silver braided rope for years. And the years turned to decades, and the decades to centuries, and to this day many Latvian men, and many women, wear these silver rings of braided rope, representing the unity of these ancient tribes and their willingness to help and defend their fellow Latvian brothers and sisters. And by wearing these rings to this day, they mark themselves with that rich cultural Latvian identity. Now, unfortunately, there's more to the story. Names' son survived but Names would never again see his son's face in this lifetime. Because apparently, the rumors were true that Names' ring made him unbeatable. And when the invaders discovered that Names did not have his ring in Lithuania, they planned an attack on Names' stronghold in Lithuania, and Names was killed in battle, defending his rights of religion and culture for the Baltic people. Now this part gets a little graphic, so if you don't like gore, I suggest to skip ahead a little bit. Because the invaders, just to put salt in the wound and to ensure that Names could never again cause any problems for the German crusaders and could never again where his ring that made him unbeatable, they cut off both of his arms. And as the native peoples dragged his body through the winter snow, his corpse stained the snow with two trails of blood where his arms were. But the snow where his body was was left clean and white. And so seeing the mark, the band of red, the band of white, and the band of red, seeing that mark that their leader left in his death, 
the remaining forces made that mark their flag. Two red stripes with a white stripe in the middle. And to this day, that is the flag of Latvia, making Latvia's flag one of the oldest flags in the history of the world, being centuries old. And as for that original ring that, his, that Namis' son wore, no one knows where that is. But it doesn't matter. Because all over the world, Latvians are wearing an identical ring. And so, if you ever see someone wearing a ring of a braided silver rope with three strands, it might be me. Or it might be a Latvian or someone who has ties to that country. And there's a good chance that if you ask that person about their ring, they'll gladly tell you its history. What a powerful story of a national identity. Those rings make an intangible link with every Latvian across the world and through time. Now, the story that I just told, historians, of course, have some different perspectives about certain details of the story. For example, they doubt that the ring made Names unbeatable in battle. That's uh, more myth. And archaeologists have shown that similar braided silver rings were worn by native Latvians before Names making it possible that Names to be the original designer of the ring. And for the flag, historians do not attribute the fallen warrior to being Names, but rather an older leader in the past. And the blood-red stripes probably weren't from his body being dragged from the snow, but rather from that fallen leader's blood staining a white sheet that he was wrapped in. And in fact, the Names ring did not become overwhelmingly popular until the late 1920s and 1930s, when the story of the Name Gredzens, or Names ring, was published and written by Alexander Greens. But let's think over here, in the framework of building a Latvian identity, which we can then use to analyze how we can build our own identities. Latvia has experienced many hardships in its history, including multiple occupations by different countries, including, most recently, Germany and Russia. But, of course, these stories of occupation, Soviet changes, and the battles that were waged, both silently and physically, are stories for another time. And many other countries and cultures have had similar hardships by the occupation of foreign forces. And what's important here in establishing that identity was the legend of the ring, not the historical nuances or details. For the legend of the ring and its symbolism of uniting the native peoples and establishing and defending a native culture and language was important to the Latvians as they too were defining their own culture between decades of foreign occupation. 
the ring, the legend of the ring, symbolized unity, trust, and the ability to prevail at all odds. Again, these little historical nuances and fact corrections have no impact on the moral of that legend. Each of our identities has components that are difficult to attribute simply to facts. For example, many of us are defined in large part by our feelings, our family traditions, our experiences. These experiences are what build us. And if we focus too much on facts while building our identity, we risk losing an important part of ourselves. And I believe that it's important that we recognize historical accuracy and facts. But we shouldn't let those facts diminish the legends, the stories, the dreams, the goals, the feelings, the emotions. As those are the things that stick with us and form our identities. Now, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. How can our legends and stories and traditions build our identities? And how do we respect each other's differences in identity when possibly those historical facts might not add up? So again, I would love to hear your thoughts. So please share your thoughts at thinkoverhere at gmail.com. I'd curious, love to read them. Now, as we wrap up today, I want to talk about rings in general. You know, we just heard this story, this magnificent legend of the Names ring and how it's helped build Latvian identity. But we see similar things in different cultures. Rings as jewelry are often regarded as symbols of power, authority, right, linking. I mean, for example, kings, they wear these rings with crests. People kiss the rings of certain church leaders. When you get married, you exchange rings and you, and you wear that ring on your hand for your entire life. How is it that a metal band that simply slips over a finger becomes such an esteemed symbol? I mean, heck, who doesn't know the story of Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings and his ring of power? You know, it makes you ask the question, what was the first ring? Who made it? Why? And why are rings so often connected to power, whether it's Names' ring or some other ring? And I want to share with you another story of a Latvian ring that had great power. Now, while Names was a historical character, you can read about him. He was real. This other story is complete fantasy. But at the same time, it is another example of powerful rings in Latvian culture. And I look forward to sharing the second ring story with you next time on Think Over Here. And I had to end here because we need to wrap up this episode and I want to take the time for a fun break. I think it's always fun to come off the script a little bit. And so I have here a bowl with scraps of paper. And each scrap of paper has a question on it. So I will now randomly reach my hand in the bowl and answer a question. Here we go. Let's see. 
Okay, here's the question. What is an animal that isn't a pet, but should be? Okay. Uh, that's hard, you know, I'm thinking about those researchers in Russia taming foxes. An animal that isn't a pet, but should be. You know, I'm you know I'm thinking I'm thinking a jellyfish, and I'm th- I'm thinking a jellyfish for several reasons. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people have them as pets in aquarium in like their fish tanks, but I've only ever seen them in aquariums. But a jellyfish, I'm thinking, you know, a they're just cool looking. They have that bioluminescence. They glow in the dark, and I mean, think how easy it is to feed them. I mean, they're pretty happy creatures. I don't think they have a brain. They just kind of float. So shouldn't it be pretty, shouldn't be hard to take care of them. And, you know, they're kind of cute. So I think that people should have jellyfishes as pets. And so if you have a jellyfish as a pet, let me know. I'd love to see a picture of it. But there you go. There's the answer to that question. And with that, we have to wrap up this episode. So thanks for listening. And again, as I'm new to this, I look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback. So please leave your review. Um, feel free to reach out to me at thinkoverhere at gmail.com. And again, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you guys, hear your thoughts, hear any ideas for stories or questions, or, you know, you can even submit ideas for the question bowl here. And if you enjoyed this, please subscribe and share it. You know, and I'm excited to continue to learn about different cultures and stories with each of you. And, um, and with that, I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao.